0: Judges, chapter number 16, begin reading in verse number 25. And it came to pass, when their hearts were married, they said, call for Samson, that he may make a sport. And when they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport, they set him between the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, suffer me that I may feel... The pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld Samson while Samson made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee and strengthen thee. I pray thee only this once, O God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein, so that the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. One more reading is found in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, please. And that's going to be in Hebrews chapter number 11. And one verse of Scripture, verse number 32. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 32. And what shall I more say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. I want to talk to us for a few moments this morning about Samson's promise. Samson's promise. I know we've already praised the Lord and lifted up His name, but I would that we would put our Bibles down and let's pray. Let's pray that the next few minutes would not just fly by, but that we would extract something from the Word of God, that the Spirit of God would apply something to my life, my heart, my situation. Let's lift our voices and pray. Father, we love You. We praise You. Thank you for all these that are here today. We give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. We trust and pray that the word of God would be a lamp unto our feet. I pray that you will apply this word to every life, to every situation. Give a great direction of encouragement. We ask it in Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated. I've entitled this this morning, Samson's Promise. Samson doesn't really give us a promise verbally. But indeed, his life does give us a promise. One of the great theological mysteries, and I say it's a mystery because when you begin to hold reality and truth according to denominational study, be it commentary or some theological endeavor to study the Word of God. We have such an incredible advantage over the denominational world in that we have the author and the finisher already within us. Which means if we can align and posture our lives in such a way that we will extract meaning and application from the Word of God that remains a mystery to even religious folk. But just one of the mysteries that is found here, in what is called as the great hall of faith here in Hebrews chapter number 11, you You know because you're familiar with this, it starts with some of the great heroes panoramically beginning in the Old Testament, be it Enoch and Noah moving on chronologically to Abraham and Isaac and Moses. then it begins to move on into the program of God in the promised land. And in this particular verse of Scripture, it mentions, most notably, some heroes that are found in the book of Judges, not chronologically, but nonetheless, they are still mentioned here. Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. And if you still have your Bible open, in fact, Brother Clark, if you would put verse number 32 up there so that people have that, you'll notice with me that David also, David also, David is the giant killer. David is considered to be the greatest in many different categories of the nation of Israel. He's considered to be the greatest king in the history of the nation of Israel. He's considered to be the greatest military strategist in the nation of Israel. He is a champion for God and for God's people. Um, He was a man that did not hold grudges even to blessing the sons of Saul. Mephibosheth being most notable, being a cripple, and yet David fed him from the king's table and gave him special provision for the remainder of his life. David was a man after God's own heart, the greatest psalmist, many of his psalms being revelatory and prophetical. And yet he only gets a brief introduction in Hebrews chapter 11. And then we have Samuel. Samuel, of course, is considered by many to be the greatest prophet in the history of the nation of Israel. And I've already mentioned that these are not in chronological order, obviously. But nonetheless, Samuel is mentioned here. And there is no mention of Elijah, there is no mention of Elisha, there is no mention of Nathan the prophet, there is no mention of any other of the incredible characters that are etched in holy writ that some of you could probably name and mention and maybe even mention some some of the highlights of their ministry or their contributions to the people of God and the word of God. But it's almost like David is just is just barely mentioned, and it's almost like Samuel is just barely mentioned. Samuel, of course, was that prophet that was used of God to transition the nation of Israel from a place of the book of Judges into the time of kings, and so he head and shoulders plays a critical role, but David is just like. An afterthought. And who would have thought that Samson is mentioned? Who would have thought that Samson is even worthy of a raised eyebrow? Because while the fodder that is taught in Sunday school classes of David felling the giant and all of the the great things, some of which... Uh, dovetail into Hebrews chapter eleven that becomes uh, it becomes part and parcel of what is taught in Sunday school classrooms across the land. Nobody would have ever thought that Samson would be in there because of the black spot that Samuel's or I'm sorry Samson's life represents so what is Samson's promise. First of all, we need to understand a little bit about Samson. He is a miraculous child. He is born to a barren womb. He is a child that is required to maintain a Nazarite vow the entirety of his life. Um, You can find this greatly etched in Scripture in Numbers chapter number 6, but I will just give you the high points of a Nazarite vow that he is not to drink any, uh, any wine his entire life, or the derivative of a grape, the entirety of his life. The entirety of his life, he is never to allow a razor to come to his head, which means his hair was to grow without trimming or cutting which almost reveals to us that the, the normative hairstyle and, and short is subjective in this, in this usage was, was short hair. And once again, that's a subjective definition for us today because they didn't have the implements for cutting that we have today. But nonetheless, a man that was under a Nazarite vow would have stuck out because he was not allowed to cut his hair while he was under a Nazarite vow which meant if you saw somebody, a man with long hair, you immediately knew that he was under a vow. Samson was to maintain a Nazarite vow the entirety of his life. And lastly, he was not allowed to touch a dead body, even if it's a relative. He would immediately become unclean. Now, although Samson was under a Nazarite vow the entirety of his life, men were encouraged to take upon themselves a Nazarite vow for specific periods of time to get a special answer from God. This is essentially a vow of separation. God's people were already separated. They were already separated from pagan cultures. They were already separated geographically by being in the promised land. They were the nucleus of God's design and the apple of his eye. However, this was a special separation that was put upon, voluntarily put upon a person's life so that they would get a specific answer from God. And in the 21st century, we could say, if you need something special from God, I would give yourself to a time of prayer and fasting. While everybody else is going to Red Robin, I would say, no, I'm going to go to the church and pray. While everybody is, is, is trying to find some kind of recreation, I would say, no, I would give myself to God because it is that special time of separation that God honors in seeking an answer from God. And let's clap our hands and give God the praise for that. Almost immediately, and we are not going to do an exegesis of Samson's life in the book of Judges, but suffice it to say that almost immediately we find out that Samson um, is not a very nice son. He is demanding of his parents to the point that he he is rude to his parents. Um, but nonetheless, his parents understood that Samson uh, is something more than just uh, a regular child that is born of a barren womb, that he is born in a specific theological window of time in which he is going to be a temporary deliverer for God's people. Um, and the mom and the dad, no doubt, I, can, I, I know that I'm, 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 I'm humanizing a little bit of this so that we can understand this. Uh, and I can, I can understand that coming from a barren womb, his father and mother and understanding Samson's placement in the plan of God, they probably feared their son. Uh, instead of uh, children obeying their parents and honoring their parents, we see Samson as being rude. Get me this. Get me that. Get me a girl of a, of a different tribe and, and, and so on and so forth. He's belligerent. He's pushy. He is... He is uh, He is not kind. Um, Another thing that begins to show in Samson is the fact that he has no problem with fornication. Uh, You may remember in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, you see a New Testament commentary on the journey of God's people coming out of Egyptian bondage. And one of the factors of which God was not pleased with his people is they began to commit Fornication. Fornication was completely outside of God's plan because he was preaching to somebody here today that behind closed doors, you are living under the crushing heel of pornography. Maybe, uh, I know you didn't feel like you were coming here to hear this kind of preaching, but that's just too bad. That's what I came to preach today. Maybe when nobody can see you and nobody knows what's going on, you are giving yourself the things that are immoral. And, and you don't really like it. You wish it was different, but you feel powerless to do anything about it. I believe that Samson gave himself and began to create a pattern in his life in which there was no turning back, in which there was no turning away. Uh, the exploits that Samson did are few and far between. They're meager. They are exploits. He did fulfill the role of a deliverer. But we do not see that his character lined up with his exploits. I remember one time that he had uh, the gates of the city on his shoulder. And he became a champion of God's people. But that being a champion to God's people did not prompt him to become integrous. It did not prompt him to have the kind of inner life that would, that would balance him out with uh, the power bestowed upon his physical life. He was an immoral person through and through. He just was. And he had a special taste for exotic women, much like Solomon in the future. Samson was not afraid to cultivate relationships among women that were the enemies of God's people. Hallelujah. You say, Pastor, this is not very positive today. I'm sorry. If you, if you want, you know, pinwheels and good ship lollipop, you're going to have to go to the big church over in Idaho. Here you're going to get the conviction, the strength, the reproof, or rebuke that's going to take you to another level if you'll respond to the Word of God today because God sees where you're at and God sees where you can be and God sees you to be something you don't even understand yourself but God is willing to give you the power. God is willing to furnish you with the ways and the means. Somebody shout and clap your hands and give God the praise. Samson played around with things you don't play around with. In terms of his spiritual character, we only have two recorded prayer meetings in 20 years of ministry. He didn't pray, which might explain why he was immoral. You will give yourself to some power And in this hour in the 21st century, God is ready to give you more power on the inside than there is power and problems on the outside. In fact, God wants to develop inside braces for outside pressure. If you're going to survive the perilous times, that the church is entering into in the 21st century. You are going to have to walk in the Holy Ghost. You are going to have to pray in the Holy Ghost. You are going to have to become familiar with the baptism of reality. You're going to have to love Oh, somebody needs to hear this preaching today. You can't just act like it's a religious... It's a religious sideline event, and I've heard this all my life, and it's easy to disregard it. No, my friend, this is the hour when we need to walk in the Holy Ghost, live in the Holy Ghost, witness in the Holy Ghost, warfare in the Holy Ghost. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. I am not going to go out as a has-been. I am not going to go out as a could have been I am not going to go out of this as a would have been you may be seated. Was the fact that supernatural power and superhuman physical power came on him? Now that's critical understanding Samson here today. I have this app on my iPhone uh, that's Encyclopedia Britannica. And they have a picture of Samson there. And they have Samson almost like Goliath. Everybody else only comes up to like his waist. And he's like this big, huge, giant guy. Are you with me here today? No. When you look, that's why... That's why you don't look at some 14th century fresco painting of Jesus and say that's what Jesus looked like. He looked like he just walked out of Gold's Gym. He has just a two-day sensual kind of a manly beard. That is not Jesus. He was marred more than any other. He was, he was disfigured. But see, the artist will put biblical, biblical figures in a physical rendering in a way that appears to be attractive, to, that would be worthy of, of recognition and maybe hero recognition. But I want it to be told truth today, that Samson did not look like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Lou Ferrigno or Mr. Olympus. I'm sorry if that shatters what you've seen in comic books and Mad Magazine, but that is not what Samson looked like. Samson probably looked like me. You know, kind of a bigger midsection than than his wife. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm gonna get in trouble before I thank you. You just stopped me from getting in trouble. Samson probably had a build that was pretty average. He didn't have bulging biceps, he didn't have bulging triceps, he didn't look like Hercules or Zeus or some of the Greek mythological figures. He just was pretty average. But because he was separated in a time of need, supernatural power would come on him. And so everybody would not give Samson the glory. They would know God came on him. Somebody needs to shout. It's just like you and I. When God comes on me, I feel like I can run through a troop, leap over a wall, cast out devils, lay hands on the sick. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. Oh, come on, let's really praise God. When the Holy Ghost comes on you, it's not because you have any power in yourself, but it's because you are weak. And when I am weak, then I am strong, and God can only get the glory. When I am weak in myself, oh, somebody shout, and somebody praise him, and somebody give him glory. That is the divine paradox. When I am weak, then I am strong. People in our culture, in our world, they don't believe in being weak. Weak is not approved, weak is not accepted. Being real and honest. And really revealing the weaknesses that we are, are looked down upon in our culture. But with God, that's an asset. I said, with God, that's a positive. Oh, God, I can't do this. But I know that you can. And when God does it, a light goes on. You say, all I got to do is find a place to pray. All I got to do is find a place to consecrate. All I got to do is find a place to dedicate. Come on, Samson. His first act of fornication didn't do him in. His second act of fornication didn't do him in. And because it didn't do him in, he became emboldened on the path that he was on. Well, Pastor, man, my kid only stole piece of candy one time and he got caught. You better thank God he got caught the first time. he was stealing the car when he turns 21. Man, I can't believe, I can't believe this church, man. I got busted. I only did it one time. You better thank God you got caught the first time. You may be robbing banks when you're 25. Going from penitentiary to penitentiary when that could have been stopped the first time. It could have been stopped. Oh, I'm preaching right now. I'm telling you, I'm preaching on not what everybody else knows. I'm preaching on what I know. I would to God that God would stop people the first time. I would to God that you got caught the first time. That's because God loves you. That's because. Somebody needs to shout right now and give God the praise. I'm glad that God busted me the first time because I didn't want a life of that. I'm glad that God pulled the cover off the first time because I didn't want it shouted from the housetop. I'm glad that God caught me the first time. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. Samson became emboldened. With his immorality to the point that he came in contact with Delilah. Now, the Philistines. They wanted this guy gone. And you have to understand there are some enemies in your life that God will not totally extinguish in your life. God may completely and immediately deliver you from drinking, smoking, cussing, giving people the finger on the interstate. I know you're out there. <laughs> I've taken, taken more of that than I even feel like I want to. Man, it's amazing how our world, you can't even change a light with your turn signal on. With five car lengths without somebody getting upset. People, it's an angry culture. People are angry. And they're looking for something to vent where they can, where they can vent that pressure. And it's just a guy changing lanes. Since we're on this, you know what really bugs me? (laughs) And I have never cussed anybody out. I have not given anybody a finger in 35 years. But it bugs me for me to be going about 65 miles an hour, and a guy pulls up to a stop sign about 400 yards in front of me. There's nobody behind me. There's nobody. And when I get within a hundred yards, this guy just creeps out of that stop, and I'm just like, I rebuke that devil in Jesus' name. It's like, "Dude, are you? what is the matter with you?" I know that's how you feel. And people from Idaho are the worst. And I, I shouldn't say that in this crowd. I really shouldn't. I'm going to tell you, what is it with people? Did you know that the worst drivers in America, this is not me, ladies and gentlemen. I, this was in a magazine, and you know magazines don't lie. And it's, it said the worst drivers in America are from Idaho. And I'm thinking, aren't there enough mountains and, and dangers to keep you guys on the road? Somebody go ahead and clap your hands. God's good anyhow. Go ahead and praise him anyhow. I'm just having some fun. Because Samson could not change course. He had gotten so used to not getting caught that now he started messing around with Delilah. She was a baited hook used By the Philistines. You know, when people finally do get caught, and I've been pastoring long enough to know that that is not not a glorious moment. That is not a moment to celebrate. The book, 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, says, Rejoice not in iniquity. Love doesn't rejoice when somebody gets busted. But you have to understand that getting busted is God's way of putting the brakes on. Because that which is done in secret will ultimately be shouted from the housetop. It means that that which is done in private will ultimately be made public. That's not God trying to destroy you. That's God's last attempt to save you. So, you know the story. Samson starts messing around with Delilah, and now she's reading from a script. Tell me what the power, the source of your power is. The source of Samson's power is the source of our power. It comes from separation. You see, God furnishes you the Holy Ghost. God fronts you the Holy Ghost. God fronts you the Holy Ghost based on your repentance and your desire But now the Holy Ghost will start leading you out because the only way the Holy Ghost is going to continue to live there is you got to be separated. You got to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. You can't hang around. With a bunch of people that are anti God and expect to keep the Holy Ghost. It's not going to happen. The Holy Ghost that's in you loves you too much, has too big a plan for you. You're a Samson in God's eyes. You have power in God's eyes. And God says, the only way that I'm going to use you is I got to lead you out of the Philistines. I got to lead you away from that. I got to lead you away from sin. seems to be an indication in this passage with Delilah that Samson breaks his vow by consuming alcohol. It's inferred there that Delilah knows what to do to get Samson to a certain place. And then she starts working him over with questioning. Samson tried to divert it by talking riddles. But she pressed him. And that's what happens to sin. It starts pressing you. That's what happens to the devil. He starts making demands of you. He starts putting his requirements of you. Finally, she pressed Samson. She got him into a place with a certain, the relationship was just right where Samson turned a corner. And he told Delilah, the source of his strength, that if you cut my hair, I will be like every other man. There were seven locks on his head. And there are seven locks in the apostolic church. And if the enemy can ever get those severed from our head, it will affect our empowerment. Holy Ghost living, prayer, Consecration, apostolic giving, soul winning, worship, faith, there's probably more I could keep going. Now Samson, you would have thought that Samson knew what was coming because she would She would do what she does, and then she would check to see if Samson was telling her the truth. Samson, the Philistines be upon thee. And he'd shake himself, and he'd whip every one of them. So while he was asleep, For the first time, he talked about his hair and the vow that he made to his God. Can you imagine somebody telling the devil what the secret to your power is? She cuts his hair. She said, Samson, awake. The Philistines be upon thee. They bound him. The very first thing they did was they put out his eyes. Then they put him on a wheel to grind at the mill. They put him on a wheel to ground wheat so that they could make dough for the enemy. And he walked around in circles totally blind while well, they put a young man with a long stick with a pointed end. And any time it looked like Samson was slowing down a little bit. He would just poke him. Samson is totally naked now, which is a time of of, of a sign of total spiritual defeat. Nakedness is an abomination to the Lord, and he's totally naked. And now this just poking him, keeping him moving as he grinds bread. And so there's a huge celebration among the Philistines that we have captured the champion of God's people. And they're out on this huge, large portico, 3,000 Philistines and the princes and all of the royalty and aristocracy among the Philistines as they're partying and tipping their glasses, clinking their glasses in celebration that they've killed the great, they, they now have the great champion of God's people and he has no eyes and he's walking in circles and he's totally our captive somebody says after drinking too much wine, let's bring out Samson and let's make sport. That meant let's torture him. Let's torture him in our presence and hear his cries and hear his gasp and see his disillusionment as he beats the air. Let's bring him out and make sport. Except that somewhere Samson had developed a relationship with this young man that was poking him, keeping him going around in circles. And he said, why don't you place me between the middle pillars? And this young man obeyed. He put Samson right there on the middle pillars underneath this portico while a celebration and a great drunkenness and glee and party was going on and Samson put his left hand on the left middle pillar and his right hand on the right middle pillar this became a very famous thing even in jewish it went beyond lore it went beyond just just a nice story in the bible you have to understand that in the 60s at the height of the cold war there was a jewish author that became privy to information of Israel, super uh, secret information that was held at the highest levels uh, among the Jews in Israel. And, And it was, he broke this story. It became a famous book. And in this book, he talked about the Samson option. That was the title of this book. It was a bestseller that talked about that Israel, through the help of the United States and other governments in the world, they devised a plan. Uh, that was a Armageddon scenario. And it said that that the nation of Israel, they understood what the book of Revelation says, even though they rejected their Savior. But they took their cues from a naked man the, uh, several thousand years previously that said if we ever get surrounded by our enemy, we will never, we will never go through what we went through, uh, through the Holocaust. We will never again go through what we went through in World War II and, and in Russia being vagabonds in the world. That we have developed a nuclear arsenal that said if we ever get surrounded, we're going to pull the plug and we're going to take everybody with us. We're going to take every nation. We're going to take Gog out. We're going to take Magog out. We'll take the multi-headed beast out. But you will never take us captive again. It became known as the Samson option. And what Samson did was he said, God, I, I know I'm paraphrasing this, but stay with me here today. God, I've essentially wasted my life. I haven't done anything. I've hardly even prayed. I've hardly even given myself to you. But now in my death, let me die with the Philistines. And in his death God granted him supernatural power one more time. And he pressed. And he pushed. And he exerted. It's time for somebody that's dropped the ball in your life to recognize that this is an opportunity for you to go out with the greatest power and the greatest deeds you've ever known. The greatest accomplishment you've ever known. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Somebody go ahead and shout with a voice of triumph. Devil, you might have had yesterday, but you ain't got today, and you ain't going to have tomorrow. I'm going to get up. I'm going to quit feeling sorry for myself, and I'm going to do more damage in my death than I ever did in my life. Clap your hands and lift your voice and give God the praise. See, the American church believes that if you mess up, you lose your place and you lose your opportunity. I'm here to blow that theory out of the water. I'm here to tell you that it doesn't matter what you've done. Get it under the blood and get your hand on the pillar and say, God, help me be a soul winner. Help me be an evangelist. Help me be a missionary. I'll do more in my death than I ever did in my life. I'll do more in the latter part of my life than I ever get. Somebody needs to shout. Somebody needs to know. God send me to this room today to try to help you with Samson's promise. Do whatever you want to do, but do something. We shouldn't have to have a new convert be the biggest soul winner in this church. There ought to be an older saint that's seen more miracles and more blessing and more faithfulness than anybody in this building. Be a great soul winner for God. American church, believes. I wasn't called to be a preacher, so I guess I'll just sit on a pew. I wasn't called to be a missionary, so I guess I'll just ride out the rest of my existence on a pew. You want to know why Samson ended up shoulder to shoulder with the greatest king that ever lived and the greatest prophet in the history of Israel? God, you give me one more chance. And I'm going to go out and say, I don't, care. I don't care what the government's doing. Well, you know, Pastor, the government's doing this. I could care less what the government There's a government stronger than the government of man that's in this house. There's a kingdom among us that's greater than the government of this world. And that is the kingdom I have to answer to. That is the king I bow to. That is the king. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph you're not done unless you think you're done. Samson was shoulder to shoulder with Abraham, Isaac, and Moses for doing one thing. He died doing more damage to the enemy than he did his entire life. I'm done. I've come to preach to this great audience. That if you're willing, God's willing. Let's stand and lift our hands and let's give God the praise. Musicians, please, please come. You're only done if you've been convinced by your failures that you're done. Samson's promise. Some of us are still living with the regret of years and years and years and years and years. And when we're in the of potentially the greatest revival. Samson was the last of the deliverers in the book of Judges. There'll never be another Jephthah. There'll never be another Deborah. There'll never be another Gideon. But we got some Samsons in the house today. Oh, what God could do. Oh, what God would do. Oh, what God could do. Let's lift our hands and give God the praise. I'm done preaching. I preached too strong already. I've got to do this twice today. Let the word be a light under your feet and a lamp under your path. This altar's open. Come. Come on, Samson. Used to give Bible studies without number. Something came along, took our victory. Come on, Samson. Let's lift our hands.